Good morning, good day, and good evening. I am as always your host, Brody Robertson. This is episode, I want to say, 120. Yes. Yes, it is. And um, I was supposed to have a guest on today, but as you can probably tell by the fact that there is no guest here, that uh, that didn't happen. So if you go back to last week's episode, I mentioned, I don't know, at some point during that show, I mentioned that Nick from the Linux experiment was going to be on. That is still going to be happening. It's just been delayed for a couple of weeks because he's got like real life stuff to deal with. So he wasn't going to be able to use his like normal camera and normal microphone. And we could have done the podcast still but if I'm going to bring Nick on, then I actually want to do it properly. I want him to actually be able to use the gear he would normally use and not really have to, like, inconvenience him with dealing with this, the real-life stuff and also dealing with um, dealing with being on the podcast at the same time. So, yeah, that's going to happen. I think at this stage it should be... it should The recording should be towards the end of the month. So I want to say, like, episode... 122? Don't quote me on that, but I want to say like 122, 123. Unless things end up moving and uh, yeah, it has to has to change again, but I don't really have any, any plans to go and do that. I do have a couple of... Uh, actually, right now I've got one, one guest, uh, guest episode lined up. I do want to get more into doing the guest stuff like I was doing back a couple of months ago. Uh, I just need to actually send out DMs to people, and then they will generally say yes. So, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say who's coming on just in case they end up pulling out, and, you know, when it's actually fully planned out, then you'll find out when the episode actually comes out. But all I will say is they are basically at the forefront of their field inside of the open source space. That might give you some ideas about who I'm talking about, but um, you will work it out when you see it. Now, speaking of things that are not FOSS, guess what project finally died? And I honestly thought that it already was. I didn't realize it was still, like, actually shipping with Windows. Internet Explorer dies today. This is today as of June 16th, 2022. <laughs> 2022. So... I honestly thought that if you wanted to use the Internet Explorer at this point, you had to use it through Edge. So the Edge version on Linux is completely pointless. Edge on Linux is basically just Chromium with a Edge skin. Edge on Windows, however, does actually serve a purpose. So Edge comes with a... I guess it, it makes use of the internet explorer engine for a aspect of the system basically for backwards compatibility because internet explorer especially things like ie6 was so badly programmed and had such a bad implementation of javascript that if a website was made with internet explorer in mind a lot of the time it would only work on internet explorer so you can't fully kill off a browser like that because of that. And you might be thinking, well, what still relies on Internet Explorer? This is like 2022. Surely everything has moved on to Chromium and Firefox-based sites. And you would think that. 
except for the fact that there is a lot of government websites, like government internal intranets, things like that, which still rely just as much as they did 10 years ago today on Internet Explorer. They've just never updated them. And like how you have, you know, cash registers that are still running OS2, like how you have, um, you know, uh, uh, like machinery, like mechanical arms, like mechanical arms in a factory that is still running Windows XP. If it works, it works, and it's never going to be updated. So because of all of the government stuff, Internet Explorer like support still needs to exist in some fashion, but there's no point Microsoft actually still maintaining it when literally the only reason it exists is because of that older support. So uh, I don't think you can even get it with Windows 11. It, judging by what I'm seeing here, uh, I think it only shipped with Windows 10 as like the latest OS. I'm going to check. Uh, Internet Explorer... Windows 11. Did it ship on 11, or can you install it on 11? Why is my internet going to be slow while I'm actually trying to do things? That's always going to happen. <laughs> I don't know what's, what's up with this connection right now. Like, it's... Judging by what I see when I run a speed test and when I'm doing a download, it's generally quick enough. But I keep seeing times where sites just don't load for some reason or another. Um, I'm seeing how to enable Internet Explorer support on Windows 11, but that's enabling it through Edge. Judging by what I'm seeing, yeah, judging by what I'm seeing, the last OS you'd actually use Internet Explorer on was on Windows 10, which is much later than you should be running it anyway, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Let me see what Internet Explorer 11 actually looks like at this point. Probably still looks like a really ancient, uh, really ancient web browser. Oh, it looks kind of like a scuffed version of Edge. <laughs> Wait, let me see if I can find a picture here. Uh, no, literally a picture. I search for it, and like the search result for like Wikipedia shows a picture, but then on the Wikipedia page itself, there is no image. Um, this is gonna be a tiny, terrible-looking picture. But here we go. It's like a kind of a scuffed version of Edge. It's still got the weird circle back buttons here. There's like the UI has not been updated in God. Like, okay, I guess this is like a seven year old ver or the seven year old um <clears throat> update. But I think that was the last time it actually got a major update anyway. Like, it really does look like it is a you know mid tens uh mid tens uh web browser. We've moved so much past this, and people can talk about how they don't like minimal design and all that fun stuff, but I, I think we can all agree that, you know, material, minimal design probably looks better than the state that IE is at this point. Like, if you wanted to go use IE, and you wanted to have, like, a nostalgic experience, look, go use IE 6 and see how terrible it is, but <laughs> it's good that it's finally just being thrown to the wayside, effectively. Uh, if you're of a certain age, you may feel a pang of regret at the snuffing of IE's meager flame. <laughs> what sort of nostalgia must you have if you feel bad about IE being killed? Uh, IE2 was the first free browser and came preloaded with Windows. 
I think you that sentence makes no sense. It makes it sound like it it came preloaded with Windows installed on it. I think you mean preloaded on Windows. Uh, a move that pretty much rang the death knell of previously dominant browser Netscape Navigator. Netscape didn't actually die. Netscape uh, does it mention it? Does it mention the fact that Netscape is Firefox? Um. Pretty much either on Internet Explorer or, if you're really cool, Firefox. No, you literally don't mention the fact that while Netscape in name died, the company that made Netscape literally just made Firefox. <laughs> like, Firefox is the spiritual successor, and in, in many ways, the, like, the directest, direct successor to, Fire, uh, to Netscape. Firefox nowadays is basically in the same camp that... Uh, <laughs> in the same camp that Internet Explorer was a couple of years back, in the fact that it has, you know, basically no market share, but, you know, there's, there's at least in the case of Firefox, there is a group of people who really like Firefox and are really holding on to it basically as tight as they absolutely can. Even if that means using... There's a lot of people who like to use, like, really old versions of Firefox because the, um... There was a point where the plugin system was swapped out and then the old plugins no longer worked. So you can actually go back and use things like um pet not pet is it called pet not pale browser, is it? Wait, what's uh I, that doesn't sound right. Is it Pale Moon? Pale Moon, yes. Uh which I believe did support the old plugin system, but by using a browser like that, it's also based on like an older version of Firefox and not really safe to use. Yeah, uh, if you're going to use Firefox, Firefox is weird about that. Like, Firefox has a lot of these forks that are based on, like, ancient versions of Firefox that still are maintained today, but they're still incredibly insecure, and you probably shouldn't use them. Whereas on the Chromium side, a lot of the Chromium browsers are basically just chromium with a skin like they'll maybe be like a version or something behind but they're still pretty much in line with what you see as chromium today i'm not involved in the browser forking space so i'm not really sure on the exact reason from what i've heard from people in like actually involved in that space firefox is much harder to actually make a fork and maintain a fork so that's very possible. That's very possibly the reason why what you see with Firefox is mainly just really cool fan projects, I guess. They're like basing the entire browser around one core functionality. I guess the exception of this would be like the Tor browser. Tor is based on like the up to date version of Firefox, but Tor is still based on a, a very, very specific use case it's based around accessing the tor network which nowadays you don't even need to use the tor browser to do that you can use plenty of other browsers as well the benefit of using the tor browser though from my understanding is tor has a lot of i guess mitigation strategies for iding your system like it always starts up at the exact same size so everyone running that browser looks like they have the same resolution it's always, um, there are some, I, I can't remember the exact details, but it's got a lot of, uh, 
yeah, the um, the 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 user agent string. The user agent string makes it look like a standard version of Firefox, not the Tor version. Because if you made it look like the Tor version, then it would be very obvious. Because you know, not many people, relative to you know the regular version of Firefox, are using the Tor version. So if you had a user agent string that demonstrated that, then it would look kind of weird. Brave does the same thing actually, where Brave used to have a um a specific Brave user agent string. Um, I was going to say Brave now has a user agent string that makes it look like Chromium, but mine is showing up as Firefox. I don't know if this is just a weird uh, Linux thing. Or maybe I'm, I don't think I modified my user agent string. Does it, wait, does Brave always just show up as Firefox? Did I... I thought it showed up as base Chromium, or, like, Google Chrome. I actually had no idea it was like that. I I think it would be a better idea to show up as Chromium. The problem with showing up as Firefox is there's a lot of sites out there which, seemingly for no reason, will just say that Firefox is not a supported browser, that Firefox is, like, an out-of-date browser, and you should be using something new. Actually, wait, hold up, I'm seeing this again. Mozilla and Oh, no, I read that wrong. No, okay. It's showing up as Chrome, but there's something else being noticed as Mozilla. Okay, ignore what I said. That's uh, just me completely misunderstanding it. Honestly, it might be a better idea to sh not even bother showing up as Linux, showing up just as, uh, just as a Windows system. But, you know, your user agent string is only one part of what you would use to ID your system. But if you're trying to mitigate its usability as an ID tool, you'd want to use basically the most generic, most basic um, basic understanding of what the user agent string would be. Like, this is Chrome running on Windows. I guess 10 would still be the most popular. It's maybe like a version behind, things like that. Never have a user agent string that tells anything important about the system like, or anything unique about the system. The more unique it is, the more, well, the more, the more of a unique identifier it's going to be. But um, speaking of Firefox and speaking of browsers, I guess we can talk about what uh, Firefox recently rolled out. Uh, Firefox rolls out what they are dubbing the Total Cookie Protection. Now, this is being enabled by default to all users worldwide. Like with a lot of the uh, things that Mozilla will do, they will typically test them on a small subgroup. So if you go into Firefox, you can actually opt in to being in, um, in studies and in test cases, things like that. And every so often, some feature will roll out that they want to actually go and mess around with. Whether it's the, like they did a while back, injecting um, adverts into your search history, which is still there. Uh, injecting, like, affiliate links like Brave's done before, things like that, you'd be entirely opt-in. And it would even tell you, like, on that page, I think it's in your About Config. Maybe it's it's one of the other About pages, but it'll tell you exactly which ones you're currently enrolled in, uh, which ones you are currently enrolled in, and if you want to, like, drop out of any of them, then you are totally free to do that, which is probably the best way to handle testing things out with the users. Let people decide if they want to be involved in testing altogether, and then 
if you do add them to one of the lists, then let them decide they actually want to go and leave the list. Anyway, um, this is starting today, which is as of two days ago, I guess my time? So, like, I guess, yeah, Tuesday. I was going to say, like, the 14th, but it literally says the 14th here. Uh, <laughs> take back your privacy. Starting today, Firefox is rolling out total cookie protection by default to all Firefox users worldwide, making Firefox the most private and secure major browser across Windows, Mac, and Linux. Now, honestly, I would argue that it probably was already that beforehand anyway, but... I guess this does make it certainly better. I guess with the exception of the Tor browser, but Tor is built on Firefox, so you can argue whether you should treat that as a separate thing or not, but I would say I would say you probably should. Um, whether it's applying for a student loan, seeking treatment or advice through your healthcare site, or browsing an online dating app, massive amounts of personal information is online. Massive amounts of your personal... Oh, Massive amounts of your personal information is on... I missed a word. <laughs> uh, no. Oi. Uh, and this data is leaking all over the web. The hyper-specific to you ads you see so often online are made possible by cookies that are used to track your behavior across sites and build an extremely sophisticated profile of who you are. If you want one great example of this, actually, like, how, how targeted ads are just, like, so insanely targeted if you let the data be out there. So I was browsing YouTube, and YouTube gives you a good understanding of the kinds of um, the kinds of information you are being targeted with. So right now I get ads for uh, the Pokemon TCG because I watch Pokemon videos every so often. I don't care about TCG, so it sort of missed me on that front, but it's got me on the Pokemon front. Uh, I get ads regarding fatigue. And there's, like, there's right now an ad going around Australia saying that, like, hey, if you're fatigued, you shouldn't drive. Think about the people that you're going to leave behind if you if you crash. And I get ads for Bunnings. <laughs> That's basically my ads. It's pinpointed me down so fucking much. Surprisingly, with how much I've been watching um, Diablo Immortal content... I haven't been seeing ads for Diablo Immortal, ads for Genshin, things like that. There have been times where I watch a lot of anime content where I'm getting nothing but Genshin ads. I wouldn't be surprised with uh, when the next MiHoYo game, uh, I guess, comes out or gets gets into the advertising swing of it, that I just start getting spammed with ads for that. What's the game called? Like Zen, Zen Zero? What the fuck is it? Uh, MiHoYo... Zenless Zone Zero, that one. Uh, the one where the only male character they showed in one of the trailers was a furry. Uh, <laughs> because why wouldn't it be? Uh, <laughs> either a furry or a robot. Anyway, so what this is, is basically, I guess, sort of, rather than having all of your cookies in a giant bit of data, where any site can decide... I want to look at that data. Hey, this site is your banking information. Well, I'm going to have a look at that. It's your Facebook. It's your Twitter. It's your, I don't know, your sex toy site. Any site, if you have all of your cookies in one place, can just look at everything there. Now, one method to deal with cookies is to just 
fully disable them. Like, just don't let the browser store any cookies. The problem with that, though, is there's a lot of sites out there which physically will not work if you do not have cookies enabled. And the way that you keep, like, accounts logged in, for example, is done through cookies. So if you don't have them, sites just, in many ways, won't work. You can't feasibly do shopping, for example, if you don't have um, cookies enabled, because most sites aren't developed now with the idea of passing information page to page. It's a lot of the... Not all of them, but a lot of the time, a lot of the information is passed around through cookies. So the idea here is basically give sites their own individual cookie jar, as you, you, you might say. So if you're Facebook, for example, you can only look at the Facebook cookies. If you are whatever other sites is here, like MealKit, whatever. If you are Amazon, if you are Netflix, if you're whatever other site out there, you can only look at the cookies for your specific domain. But the benefit of doing it like this is you can actually make it transparent to the individual websites. So you let the browser handle, like you don't let, let the websites decide, hey, I'm the Facebook jar, I'm gonna pull from Facebook. You let the, the Facebook you let the Facebook website, you let the Facebook domain or the Facebook server think that it's just grabbing a cookie from your account or from your browser. And then on the browser front, you give it like a regular looking cookie section. But behind the scenes, then you route that into the place where it actually is safer to be. And I think this is just a better way to handle stuff. Like, I get the idea of removing cookies, but just... I, th I think while third-party uh, third cookies are going to exist, this is probably the best way they could be handled. I know that Google has a lot of strategies for just removing third-party cookies in general, but they keep coming up with ideas that just don't sound like a good idea. Every time Google comes up with a solution to get rid of third-party cookies, their solution is basically delete the problem and replace it with a worse problem. Hey, look, we have third-party tracking cookies that anybody can look at. Replace that with, we have tracking IDs that anybody can look at if they pay Google money. <laughs> so it's just like, Google wins no matter what happens. They either get third-party tracking cookies or they get this, this thing they control. Now they can say, oh, it's open and anybody can use it. But yeah, I'm sure anybody can use it when you are the guys who control the access to the data. Like, yeah, that definitely sounds like something that's open and uh, <laughs> available to use. But Google is going to come up with reasons for why their solution is always going to be the, the best solution available. And then everybody is going to basically fight against that. It's not the third-party tracking cookies are good. It's just there's not a better solution. Like, your solution is either delete them and just send the web back like 10 years or replace them with something bad. And I don't know what the better solution... I, besides, besides what Firefox is doing, I genuinely don't know what the better solution is. Maybe someone far smarter than, than I am can come up with something here, but... I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. Unless you want to go and like manually handle the data sites you're allowed to add to cookies, things like that. Actually, honestly, actually... 
maybe if you have the browser stripping out certain data, I think that could actually, that could be kind of useful. Like, obviously, it would be very much on a site-by-site -site basis, and you'd have to probably only focus on the major sites, but you could probably, like, examine what is being, um, what is being saved in the cookie, and then clearing out the stuff that isn't safe to be there, but... I don't know. I don't know. There's, as I said, there are people much smarter than I am who probably have much better solutions than I do. Anyway, um, while we're on the topic of Linux stuff, we, you know, we're going to keep talking about Linux stuff until I run out of Linux topics, and then we're going to um, not talk about Linux for the rest of the show. So Microsoft holds a fund where they will fund various FOSS projects because Microsoft loves open source, as they have said uh, many a times. So, Gnome is the latest winner of this fund. This is the fund number 20 of May 2022. Now, I actually honestly think it's a great thing that Gnome of all of the desktop environments won this. Not because I necessarily love Gnome, but because people think that Gnome is already a corporate project with how tied they are to Canonical. So, no matter how much money that Microsoft gives them, like, you can't make, you can't make the, uh, like, opinion of Gnome any worse. I was gonna, I, I thought that was the case, but we already have someone saying, now a fund, later maybe a hostile takeover. Guys, if you give someone money, that means you're gonna hostile, you're gonna, it's gonna be a hostile takeover of the project. Microsoft's gonna have to fight Canonical to do that, so I think they're gonna be fine. But like, imagine if, imagine if KDE won the fund, or imagine if XFCE won the fund. Both of those projects are considered, you know, fairly community driven, especially KDE. Like KDE, for what it is, being basically the second biggest desktop environment on Linux, it's a community project, and everyone sort of looks at it as a community project. Now, imagine if all of a sudden Microsoft is giving you money. Well, you're going to have a lot of people who already don't like KDE who are going to say, hey, look, you're now owned by Microsoft, guys. You're owned by Microsoft. So, look, this is good. Who Actually, who won the previous funds? Let's have a look. Um, they didn't update the page yet, so it doesn't actually say that... Um, can I April System D, you want it? Uh, system D is a suite of basic building blocks for a Linux system. Provides a system and service manager that runs as PID1 and starts the rest of the system. True. See, this is what I mean. It's great that System D wins it because the people who hate everything that Microsoft ever touches cannot hate System D more than they already hate it. Uh, Curl won it in January of 2022. I didn't actually hear anyone talk about this. OpenStreetMap. Uh, Babel, Reproducible Builds, OptiKey, QEMU. Oh, like I'm not, okay. One thing I want to make clear is I'm not saying that it's a bad thing that Gnome was given money. Like Gnome certainly isn't lacking in funding. They are a corporate project. They have all of the money they, they need to have. But, you know, more money is always going to be a good thing. Um, Colorama in, what the hell is Colorama? 
This is a critical project in the Python ecosystem for enabling normal color output to work on Windows. Uh, oh, it's this one. Ah, okay. Right, it basically makes um, terminal colors actually operate. Oh, and, wait, does it? Doesn't support ANSI dim text. Okay, but it makes general ANSI stuff operate correctly on uh, on Windows, which is good. Uh, we is a small uh, cross-platform UI library for .NET. I love it when .NET stuff wins, though. Uh, this reactive extension for Angular. DBAT tools. Ma oh, Matplotlib wanted at one point. Wow. Uh, Non-visual desktop. Ooh, this is a... Okay, what is this? Uh, NVDA is a screen reader for the blind. That's generally who screen readers are for. I wouldn't expect a screen reader to be for the deaf, but sure. Uh, that is recognized by the community as the leading screen reader to interact with the web in Windows. That's cool. I, I There's a lot of software in this space that I just have never heard about, but... It's always really cool when people are working on like accessibility tools like this because this is one area where I just don't know. I, I mentioned this last week with uh, with um with Niccolo. This is one area where I have no idea what would even need to be developed. Um, first one was ES Lint. <laughs> Find and fix your problems with JavaScript code. The fact that you're using JavaScript. Uh, Rust Analyzer, an experimental Rust compiler front end for IDEs. Okay. Uh, Image Sharp, a modern cross-platform 2D graphics library for .NET. <laughs> there it is. A NTP wanted at one point. Wow. NTP is very important. NTP is what makes makes it so you don't have to deal with like always synchronizing your clocks in your computer. It just magically does it if you have a a network connection. NTP is very good. I'm surprised I've never heard anyone saying that NTP is like a security hazard or something like that, but <laughs> I'm sure someone out there has made that argument, but uh, it's not it's not come across uh, my ears, that's for sure. And speaking of things that probably shouldn't have come across my ears, um, I'm going to show you possibly the dumbest advice or dumbest suggestion and dumbest Linux user I have ever seen. Someone who just shouldn't be allowed to use Linux. Now, I don't say that lightly. Like, there are some really dumb people who use Linux, and, you know, stupid people are going to use any operating system, but this person is talking about this as if, like, this is a totally normal thing to do. So, is makelinuxfastagain.com maintained? So, if you don't know, this is basically a website to make your system incredibly insecure. Um, right now, it's got these right here. This is effectively the... The kernel parameters you can pass into your kernel to disable things like your Spectre and Meltdown protection. And all of these other, like, massive exploits that you shouldn't be letting happen on your system. So, is MakeLinksFastAgain.com maintained? Basically asking, hey, if I go and add these to my kernel parameters... Is this going to do what I think it does? Is this going to make my system incredibly insecure? So with the reveal of yet another side channel CPU attack, which is Hertzbleed, I've not heard about this one. Hertzbleed is a new family of side channel attacks, frequently side channels in the worst case. These attacks can allow an attacker to extract cryptographic keys from remote servers that were previously believed to be secure. 
Uh, Hertzbleed takes advantage of our experiments showing that under certain circumstances, the dynamic frequency scaling of modern x86 processors depend, uh, depends on the data being processed. The, the dynamic frequency scaling of modern x86 processors depends on the data being processed. Right, that makes sense. Uh, this means that a modern processor is the same program, can run at different CPU frequency, and therefore take a different wall time uh, when computing. For example, uh, 2022 plus 23823 compared to 2022 plus uh, 24,436. Right, sure. So these are, you're passing a different data, so it's going to make the CPU operate at a slightly different frequency. Sure, fair enough. Uh, Hertzbleed is a real and practical threat to the security of cryptographic software. We have demonstrated how a clever attacker can use a novel chosen ciphertext attack against Psyche to perform a full key extraction via remote timing, despite Psyche being implemented as constant time. Uh, am I affected by Hertzbleed? Uh, so Intel Security Advisory and AMD Security Advisory. So Intel Security Advisory states that all Intel CPU... Uh, Intel processors are affected. We experimentally confirmed that several Intel processors are affected, including desktop and laptop models from the 8th to 11th gen core microarchitecture. Um, AMD states that several of their desktop, mobile, and server processors are affected. We experimentally confirmed that AMD Ryzen processors are affected, including desktop and laptop models from Ryzen 2 and Ryzen... Uh, from Zen 2 and Zen 3. Ryzen is... How do I read it as Ryzen? Zen 2 and Zen 3. So, I believe I, I'm running a... Zen 3 is 3600X, yeah? AMD, 3rd Gen Ryzen. Uh, yes. Yes, they, they, don't, they don't do stupid numbering. So, the Zen 3, the 3 in Zen 3 is the 3000. Fair enough. Other processor vendors, e.g. ARM, also implement frequency scaling in their products and when, were made aware of Hertzbleed. However, we have not confirmed if they are or are not affected by Hertzbleed. Well, you'll know if they're affected if they release patches. Uh, is there an assigned CVE? These ones here. Uh, is Hertzbleed a bug? No, the root cause of Hertzbleed is dynamic frequency scaling a feature of modern processors to reduce power consumption during low CPU loads and to, uh, and to ensure the state stays below power and thermal limits during high uh, CPU loads. Wouldn't this... Well, this feature here is one of the things that helps your CPU not drain ridiculous amounts of power. I know there are some places like... I think... Doesn't California have weird laws regarding how much a CPU can pull. Like, how much, it, like, an entire system can pull. I feel like this would probably make hitting those thresholds a little bit harder to, to actually make. Um, anyway, so these things are good. Make sure that you let things get dealt with. Um, so let's see. On the desktop side, Athlon a uh, X4, Threadripper Pro... 2nd and 3rd gen Ryzen, 7th gen AMD A-series APUs, uh, 2000, 3000, and 4000 series. Yeah, okay. Basically, everything that people actually care about. On the server side, uh, AMD Epic 1st and 2nd gen. On the mobile mobile side, 2000, 3000, uh, 3000 with, uh, with graphic, with or without graphics, uh, 4000, and 5000.
So what this person did is they took this website, curl, uh, make links fast again, and then they run it with curl. And what they do is add it into their grub config. Because it's a single tenant machine, and I don't need all these various mitigations for L1 and L2 cache snooping and stuff to be enabled. Okay, maybe I should leave them enabled, but I'm free to do what I want, right? You are free to do what you want, but you're also free to jump off of a building. And you probably shouldn't do that either. So, okay, there's a couple of problems here. First problem, disabling these things is a terrible idea because they are actually exploitable in the real world. If they weren't exploitable in the real world, fine, sure, whatever. The other thing about them is they are well documented how to exploit them. Like when you actually write a research paper like this, you show how you actually exploit the problem. The reason why it always takes so long to like for the information for these to come out is because they deal with like the the manufacturers first. They pass the information along. The the manufacturers will work out whether it's something that, you know, actually is, you know, exploitable. If it is, then they're going to go and hopefully if they care about people or they care about their reputation because it's then going to be shortly after that released publicly. And if they haven't dealt with it, then they're going to have to deal with it. Second problem. Never, ever, ever add a command that could possibly fail into your grub config unless you want your system to not boot. So let's just imagine something. Let's imagine you replace... Uh, what shows up with this website here with, let's say, I don't know, there's someone in here that mentioned something fun. What if you added something like init slash bin slash false or init slash user slash sbin slash reboot? <laughs> or you, I don't know, add a dd command and you nuke the hard drive. <laughs> like... You could replace the website with any of those things and then yeet the entire computer. And it's going to look like, you know, your hardware's broken because your bootloader will not function. Like your system is just, especially if you want reboot on. Like reboot's an interesting one. Like if it was something, if it was just like, hey, have garbage text here, Grub would still probably do something. But... If you were to go and make the system reboot, because what you're doing here is changing your init system with reboot. If you did that, your system would just be in a boot loop. And it wouldn't look like anything is working. This is the worst idea you could... Like, doing this is the worst idea you could ever possibly do. Let alone the fact that, you know, if the site goes down, then your, your boot command is going to be... Or your kernel parameters is going to be full of just completely garbled text. It's going to be full of a ton of HTML. And, you know, Grub's not exactly great at handling HTML. Terrible idea. Never do this. If you want to go and use these, like, use these parameters from, uh, from this website, I don't think you should. But if you want to do that, copy and paste into the file. It is... Not a good idea, but it's at least a better idea than uh, what this person was doing. You should never be allowed to use a Linux computer if you actually do this. You should honestly, you shouldn't be allowed to use a computer. You're a you're a danger to yourself if this is something you think is 
reasonable to do. Uh, what's this? I don't think anyone from the Colonel side can do much about Hertzbleed. The only solution would uh, would be to have a syscall that unilaterally fixes the CPU frequency governor and temporarily disables turbo a uh, turbo boosting on the CPU. Uh, always doing that is such a hilarious bad idea. It's not going to happen. That triple every single computer. Uh, yeah, triple every single computer power usage. I imagine the only way this is probably going to be addressed is with a um, with a microcode update. So those guys who don't want to install microcode because they think the microcode is going to backdoor their CPU. Yeah, they're the only ones going to be affected. Um, let's see. If I look up don't install uh, CPU microcode, let's see if I find some... So about people who say it's terrible. Micro... Wait, what the fuck is this? Microcode versus BIOS. <laughs> That's not even... What are you even saying? That's literally not even comparing the same things. Uh... <laughs> like, if you go to... Uh, if you deal with a lot of the, the, like, hardcore ThinkPad people, there is a surprising number of people out there who think that you shouldn't install your, like, microcode updates because you're loading proprietary code, and proprietary code is inherently bad. Except for the fact the CPU already has built-in proprietary code, but, uh, let's not think about that problem because that's, uh, that's too complex to think about. <laughs> that's too complex to think about, it makes the problem too difficult, and, uh, we're just not gonna worry about it. Speaking of things that you probably, um, shouldn't worry about, or maybe should, depending on who you are, if you're like me, probably not worry about it. Um, the Bitcoin price, <laughs> which is uh, not doing very, um, very good, you might say. <laughs> not doing very good. Doing horrendous is maybe another way to put it. Um, let's have a look at coin market cap. Now, by the time that you're seeing this, Look, the market might be in a much better state or a much worse state, but it's not in a good state right now. Look, it's 4% up. Guys, it's 4% up. It's it's totally not completely ruined. You can't see anything now because my my, my capture broke. Why did it do that? Uh, Bitcoin. Look at how totally fine this is, guys. If you look at the day chart, look, it's great. Everything's good. And then we go to the seven-day chart. And we go to the month chart. <laughs> go to the three-month chart. <laughs> go to the year chart. <laughs> Let's go all time. Well. <laughs> well. Um, we are currently in the span of... What is this? Since November of 2021. Bitcoin has... Dropped by, what, 67-ish? It's lost 67% of its value. It's it's 33% of the value it was at its peak. So, for anyone who doesn't know, I actually, there was a time when I was, like, really big on just investing in, in crypto. And I, I bought in around about here, I want to say. Something like that, yeah. And I, I could see the writing on the wall. I sold 
around about maybe a couple of days after the fall started happening. Like, it already fell, like, quite far. But something like that. From here to here. And there was a lot of people. Like, this right here, if you look at the, um, the time when this happened. So, here, I, yeah, right here. This is around about when COVID started. So, markets were down. Look at this. It's down, like... It's literally half the value. Like, that's crazy. So it goes from 10,000 to 5,000. Um, then people saw how low it went. And they're like, wow, Bitcoin's gone. Like, it's gone up so high back in 2017. It's gone high here. This is the time where we start dumping money into the market. And like, like big investors started doing it as well and regular people. And then, woo! And that happened. But the problem is that this, this is what we call in the, um, in the real world as a bubble. And bubbles tend to pop. So we got to, uh, what, we got to here. What is this? This is the end of 2021. This is where, I think this is where the, like, some of the big waves started happening again, so things just collapsed. Oh, this was also when there was a lot of um, a lot of market strife, like you know, a lot of things just weren't available and things like that. Like you can, I think this was around the about the time where toilet paper was like difficult to buy, and woo, then people like it it crashed, but it can keep going higher. And then money went back in, things happened, went all the way back up. Then it took us to the end of twenty twenty one, but. This is around about when, like, NFTs and crazy shit started happening, and also people being very worried about, you know, a recession that's probably going to happen. And, you know, here's the thing about investing money. Typically, investing money does not pay your bills. So when you have, like, rent payments and car payments and mortgage payments, what you're going to do is you're probably going to start selling stuff off, and the more that people sell off, the more that this happens. I wouldn't be... Now, this is very much not investing advice. I would not be surprised if Bitcoin by the end of the year is around about the same price it was in 2020. I honestly feel like that's probably going to happen. It might go even lower, but you see a lot of people, a lot of like crypto people on, on Twitter right now Saying like, hey guys, just keep buying in, buy the dip, buy the dip, buy the dip. Like the dip's, it's going to keep going. It's going to keep going lower. I'm almost certain it's going to keep going lower because people are just dumping so much money out of the market right now. And there's there's so much focus on all of the scams that are going on right now as well. Like more focus than ever. Normal people are starting to see like how absolutely insane this is. And also a lot of people get very scared when things like this happen. Like, you have that first dip, a lot of people got very scared. You have a second dip. Look, more. the more times something happens, the more it starts to look like a pattern. And that's what we're starting to see right now. We're seeing a pattern of crypto going down. And we're going from this, like, you know, crazy bull market where literally anything makes money to, you know, you got to be a bit more intelligent. A bit more intelligent the way you make your money. Like... Here's the thing. When I bought when I bought crypto at this point, literally 
anything except for a rug pull made money. Like, when a lot of people got involved in crypto, this was possibly the the worst, like, it's the best and the worst time. It, it's the best if you're, like, paying attention to what's happening. Like, this is not a natural market. But it's the worst if if you're, like, someone who wants to dump your life savings into it and think that, like, this is just going to go on forever. There was a lot of people who got these, like, really, I guess, what would be a good way to put it? Um, unnatural expectations or unrealist, unrealistic expectations on the way a market should be operating. Like, you shouldn't be going up three times in value in the span of a year, unless your name is like Amazon and you just, you just like spawned out of existence. Oh, sorry, I said three times. I meant five times. <laughs> it's worse. 500% value. That's not normal. And the same thing with a lot of the, um, the like yield farming stuff we're seeing. Like I, I actually did have a lot of money during this period in yield farming stuff, but that's only, like, a pyramid scheme is only viable when there are stupid people under you that are dumping more money in. A pyramid scheme does not, oper does not like, work when the price looks like this. When it looks like this, though, and people are just going fucking insane, you know, pyramid schemes tend to do pretty fucking well. <laughs> um, but... I... I have been looking at the market and thinking about whether I whether I want to jump back in, but honestly, I I'm very happy that I decided against doing so because right now, right now it seems like it it's going down and it's not going to stop. I don't think I know some people are talking about have like the crypto market is over, crypto is done, bitcoins it, bitcoins over. I I don't think bitcoins over. What I do think is this ridiculous market where literally anything can make you money, this is certainly over. At least for now. Like, maybe there'll be a, a another jump like this. Like, hey, look, 2017, you go from, what, $1,000 to... I guess that was even a, a crazier jump. $1,000 to $13,000 or $17,000 or $20,000. Like, that's even more insane. Like, this is nothing compared to that. But I'm sure this is where a lot of the early Bitcoin investors also made their money. Like, if you'd bought here and you sold here, like, you're literally... Like, you could put basically no money in and you're basically a millionaire. If you'd put... Let's... Okay, actually, what is that? So, 20x returns. If you put $100 in at 20x returns, that's, what, $2,000. Yeah? Is that, how, is that how numbers work? 100 times 20. Yes, that's how numbers work. So if you'd put, like, let's say $10,000 in, it goes 20x in a year. $10,000 is 200000 <laughs> in a year from literally no work. But this is just, like, sensible coins. I was even going to find something, um, something real stupid. Um... Is this all? Yeah, here we go. Here's one of the coins that I had money in. <laughs> Here's one of the coins that I had money in. Um, 
It went from what? Um, what is that? Uh, thirtieth or a we'll say a fortieth of a. Wait, decimal. A four, one four thousandth of a dollar. We'll say that, yeah. And it went from that up to one cent. <laughs> so it went up by like some fucking ludicrous amount of money. And I think I sold like somewhere around here. Now I'm not a millionaire because I'm 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 smart enough to know that was incredibly dangerous to put money in, but I'm dumb enough where. I didn't, I didn't dump more money. Like, if, if I knew how stupid, how genuinely stupid the market was going to be during COVID, I would have put my life savings into it and I would literally be a millionaire because it was so bad. Like, it, this was not a normal market. Like, normal markets don't, don't do that. I'm going to check this right now. Let's. I'm going to check how much that actually went up by. So 0 0.004. Uh, sorry, 0. Divided by 0 0.001. Uh, 0. Point, yeah, there we go. Wait, no, that's not how numbers work. No, that's... that's. Wait, that that's not how numbers work. Uh, what is 0 from 0? Yeah, here we go. It is uh I can't it's a lot. <laughs> Wait, that's not how that What is zero It's yeah, it, it, the answer is it's a lot. It's like this is stupid and this is not how money works. Money doesn't just appear out of nowhere for no val for like for nothing nothing being involved in it you can say like this is one of the things i've heard about um like we will say things like the us dollar isn't backed but what it's backed by is a country this is backed by nothing <laughs> like things that are backed by reality don't do this this is not how reality operates you don't go up this much in this wasn't even a year. This was like five months. <laughs> and I, this is just a one, like a one-off thing. There were so many things that did this. So many of the absolute just trash tokens. They had some like tiny, tiny market share. And then a couple of really stupid people just dumped too much money into it. And it just went insane. As I've said, this is not financial advice. Do not do what I did. I only put money. I I'd only put in like a few thousand dollars. Like that. That's what I'm getting. I put in a few thousand, something that I could afford to lose. But there are people who were convinced that the way that Bitcoin's been operating for the past, you know, three years, two or three years at this point, like this is is a normal market. There were people who convinced that. It always goes up. You know, I'm sure you've heard the people saying like $100,000 Bitcoin. Guys, Bitcoin's going to be $100,000 by the end of the year. Pikachu tail. This is one of the funny ones I heard about, actually. That 
there were there were a lot of people on on Twitter making up like types of graphs, and this right here, this was called a Pikachu tail. And if it's a Pikachu tail, that means it keeps going up. <laughs> it's just like that's not that's just not something that's real. You've just made that up. I, I, I do keep seeing graphs that really like to manipulate the way the data is structured to make it seem like things aren't things aren't as bad as they actually are. Where they'll just like change the scale. So if you look at this, the scale on coin market cap is a normal scale. It's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, so on and so forth. That's a functional scale. I've seen people do things like they'll have a hundred, a thousand, fifteen thousand, thirty thousand, fifty fifty-two thousand, or whatever numbers they want to use, and it compresses the graph in a way that makes it look like this is not happening. And like this entire thing that's happened here is just not real. And it's always just it's always gonna go up, boys. I <laughs> I do I do hope just to bring some sanity back into people that we even go below this point. Like, honestly, if we go, like, if we go here, like, let's, can we go back to 2017? Just, just imagine how just insane the crypto bros would be if we went back to 2017 crypto prices. I'd love it. And you know what? If it did go back to that point, I, I, look, I'm, I might, I might have to just dump money in. Like, if it go, the, the crypto bros are so stupid that if it goes that low, clearly everything's totally fine. And that just means it's got more room to go back up. I, once again, wouldn't put my life savings into it. Probably would just put a couple thousand back into it. But the crypto bros are stupid enough that anything is going to go up in value if they are involved. I have been talking about Bitcoin for like way too long and I need to stop doing this. Um, so I'm gonna move on to something that's not Bitcoin. Let's talk about video games because video games are fun. Persona 5 Royal and Persona 3 Portable are coming to Steam. So Persona 4 Golden, that was already on Steam. I am so excited. So this is going to be, I believe only Royal has a announce or have it has like a date. Um, P5R Steam. I think it's October... I want to say October 10th. Um, does it say on the Persona website, or the Atlas website? I don't think it does, but it might. I'm not seeing it. Oh, wait. On October 20, uh, 21st, 2022... Uh, we will steal your heart. Yes, yeah, so October uh, October 2021st. 2021st? What the fuck is 2021st? October 21st, 2022. I have actually not played Royal. So I do have I did have a copy of Persona 5. And I do have a copy of Here we go. I do have a copy of Strikers, which I got for $36. EB Games is nice sometimes. But I, I've never actually finished Persona 5, so I was actually borrowing Persona 5 from um, 
one of my workmates, but he wanted to copy back because he was like selling his console and wanted to, you know, have like a, a game bundle to go with the console, things like that. So I never got, actually got around to finishing it. I think I was in the last palace though, so I probably just should have gone and finished it. Regardless though, uh, I'm going to be playing through Royal and I'm probably going to play through Royal on, uh, on stream. And at some point, I'll have to go back and play through um, Four Golden, which I do own, and also um, Persona 3. I don't know why it's Portable that's coming to Steam and not... Wait, is, is Fess or Portable the... the... Which one's the full version? I thought Fess was the, the full version, because Fess was the PS2 version, and Portable was the... Portable was the PS... PSP version. This is how old Persona 3 was. Um, Persona 3... Fess versus Portable. Here we go. Fess is the same as Persona 3 and includes... Actually, yeah, Fess is... Yeah, Fess seems to be... The more complete version, but... Ah, okay, so the... Portal had a different combat system, and... Huh. Okay. Ended up getting fast. Might still pick up P3P down the road. Uh, P3P, uh, P3P has much more tolerable combat, and the addition of a female protagonist. I feel those are worth having... Uh, are worth having to have the visual novel interface. Plus, the answer part of Fess is basically a giant grind with little else to it. Uh, and the cutscenes can be watched on YouTube, which I recommend. Uh, plus, the answer part of Fess makes you don't. I would imagine if they bring portable, like bring portable to PC, they're probably going. It's probably not going to be um, entirely the same. It's probably going to be a slightly modified version, especially if the cutscenes were missing from the the PSP version. That would be really weird if you would. That, yeah, that would be really weird if you bring, like, a trimmed-down version of the game. Especially bring it alongside, like, Persona 5 Royal, which is Persona 5 with an expansion. But I don't know. We'll have to see what actually, um, what actually goes down when it actually comes out. I am a really big fan of Persona 5, though. Even though I didn't finish it, I still really love the game. I'd at that point put like 70 hours or something into it. So like I, I still got my um got my my fun from the game. The only reason I didn't finish it is because I think I started playing it during my break between uni semesters. I didn't finish it, and then when uni started back up, I just didn't have time to play it. I was doing YouTube at the time. I was doing uni, I was working, and doing all of those things at once, just, it was not going to be viable to, to actually play the game as well. Like, I could have probably done, like, an hour here and there, but I was grinding uni so hard for those four years that it just, it wasn't going to happen. The fact that I actually started doing YouTube during uni, that surprised me, like, my first year was pretty chill. First year was pretty chill. That I still ended up watching a shitload of anime during that. Second year was less chill, and I think that was when I actually stopped... I think I stopped watching anime for an entire semester or something like that, and I stopped gaming entirely. 
Um, third year was also absolutely stressful. Fourth year, I think I think the reason why I started back up is because in my second semester of third year and then fourth year, they were just way more chill, especially fourth year. Fourth year, I fucking slept in a lot. <laughs> I didn't show up to class. It was great because fourth year was mainly focused around, like I had like one master's course, um, but it was mainly focused around doing your honors paper and your like honors projects. So doing that is just, you just didn't need to put anywhere near as much effort. Like you have an entire year to write a research paper and work on a project. Like you just really don't need that entire year. I think we ultimately finished the project like maybe, I want to say like a few weeks early. <laughs> <laughs> and we just chilled for the rest of it. I think we were, like, polishing some things and working on documentation. We did end up having, like, a 40-page write-up um, about the project. And then I think the... I don't remember how long the paper was. The paper wasn't that long. The, the main work was in the uh, in the documentation of the project because... The other thing with that project is when we started on it, so it wasn't something that was entirely new, we were picking up a project that the, I think, previous years honor students, or maybe that was from the company that was working... No, it was it was the company that was working on it. Um, it had literally zero documentation. Nothing at all. Nothing for how to use it, nothing in the code base, literally no documentation. So we had basically, I think it was 30 pages of documentation and maybe 10 explaining some of the stuff that we did. And that, I guess that was how how both of us got like HDs on that course. Like it, it totally makes sense why it happened. And we also kind of were working, um, working hard for the scholarships we got. It wasn't like a massive scholarship was only a few thousand dollars, but like, yeah, we, we got a super, the, the project itself, like the programming part, very easy, but we spent so much time, like it wasn't a difficult program or difficult, um, difficult project to do, but we spent so much time just working on the documentation. Like when I say 30 or 40 pages, I don't mean like barely barely touch pages. I mean, like, intense documentation for a, a, um, a VR, uh, I think it was bioinformatics or something like that, or gen genomics. A VR genomics project alongside the stuff that we were doing. And during that, we're actually supposed to go to Canberra, but, you know, COVID hit, and that didn't happen, so... <laughs> <laughs> didn't end up going to Canberra. Maybe at some point I'll have to go to Canberra. How much does it... I'm going to check right now. How much does it cost to fly to Canberra? Uh, flights to Canberra. I know Melbourne... No, Sydney is like $90. Uh, let me see. Why am I looking up flight prices during a podcast? $300. That's a lot more. Uh, <laughs> that is a lot more than going to Sydney. Why is it sh wait? Why is it showing me the super expensive prices? What the fuck? What? Okay, there's definitely cheaper prices than that, without a doubt. Uh, yeah, there we go. One thirty nine. Yeah, not three hundred dollars. Fuck off. 
Oh, wait, am I seeing ones that are cheaper? Like $53? Wait, where can I get a $53 one? Oh, wow. Okay, if you go... Okay, take back what I said. You can fly there for $53 sometimes. So it's um quite cheap sometimes. Oh, wait, no, that's from Melbourne. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Take back what I said. Um, let's go cheapflights.com.au. There we go. Not Melbourne. Why do you think I'm in Melbourne? At least think I'm in Adelaide. Uh, Ad Ad Adelaide. Here we go. Let's see. Uh, search. It is from Adelaide. Shouldn't be that expensive. It's from Adelaide. Uh, cheapest because I am cheap. <laughs> Five hundred and no shot. It's wait. Is it just really expensive from Adelaide? It might actually just be really expensive from Adelaide. Okay. Uh, oh, also, oh, they're also tomorrow flights. That would also be why. Uh, this website's so bad. There we go. Search. I guess if you were, if you like time where you want to go, it can be much cheaper. I The last time I went on a plane, I think I was like 10 years old. Um... Anyway, I'm not even showing it on the screen. That's enough looking. That's enough fucking looking at prices. Like, what is this episode? I look at fucking Bitcoin price and I look at plane ticket prices. Why do people watch this show when I don't have a guest? Now, I, I don't know. Um, let's see. What else do we have? Um, you know, what? we're going to talk about this. So, live action anime movies are a bad idea. And I think we can mostly agree on that. Now, there are some exceptions. The exceptions are anything that Japan makes. But anytime there is an anime movie made outside of Japan, I think... 99 out of 100? They're bad. Not necessarily like Dragon Ball Evolution's bad, but generally bad. And, um, Justin Lin is making a One Punch Man movie. Now, if you don't know who Justin Lin is, you are very much, um, you're very much missing out. So, <laughs> I love how The Verge is trying to, like, talk this up as if it would be, like, really cool. So, the production team sounds solid with... Fast and Furious director Justin Lin on deck, along with scriptwriters Scott Rosenberg and Jeff Pinkner, who previously worked on Venom and Jumanji uh, The Next Level. Now, just the fact that it is the Fast and Furious director, it makes me hope that it's going to be so terrible, it's actually fun. Like, imagine the cheesiness of Fast and the Furious, brought on to One Punch Man. Honestly, I think it could kind of work. Um, so it says it could go into production by the end of the year. There aren't many details on who will star in the film. Most crucially, who will play Saitama. Um, <laughs> at least we can probably rule out Vin Diesel. I wish... I wish this didn't happen, so... The reason why he's not involved in Fast and Furious anymore and Furious Furious 10. I like how we're down to Furious now. 
Oh, no, it was fast nine. It was fast at one point. It was fast five, and now we've got more letters back. But it's... Not, yeah, okay. But um, Lynn and Vin Diesel had a fight, so sadly, we're probably not going to see... We're probably not going to see Saitama walking around talking about family. <laughs> the funny thing is that I think that Vin Diesel would actually be, like, a kind of amusing Saitama. Because <laughs> I, I don't want them to bring... that If they bring in, like, a super jacked dude for Saitama, it just wouldn't really fit what his character is. Like, imagine... <laughs> Imagine having The Rock play Saitama. <laughs> it like it would be so fucking great, but it it would not fit the character whatsoever. I don't know. Look, judging by the what's been happening in the entire uh in the entire movie industry, it's probably going to be fucking Chris Pratt. <laughs> Chris Pratt in a bold cap or something like that. <laughs> Which, you know what? It'll be fine. <laughs> Look, it's gonna be bad. Like, we can see how the Bebop TV series went. We can see how every other time America tries to make anything involving anime, it's bad. There is maybe... What can I think of that's an exception? Um, what's that movie where they, uh, Tom Cruise, what was it, it was a Tom, was it a Tom Cruise movie, where they just took the idea from a manga and then completely changed the name? Age of Tomorrow, yes. Yes, Age of Tomorrow, which was based off of All You Need Is Kill. Which, if you have not read All You Need Is Kill, I highly recommend that you uh, that you go and read it. It is very, very good. And Edge of Tomorrow, which is an adaptation of All You Need Is Kill, the most bizarre adaptation of a manga you will ever see, uh, is a good movie. Because they didn't try to make it an, like an anime movie. They were like, let's take this idea and just do it in a... Do it in a sensible fashion. I, um... I I just want it to happen. I, look. I, I want this... I hope this project doesn't get cancelled. I want it to happen because it is going to be so entertaining. I'm going to have to make sure that I, uh... I see it on... On the premiere day, without a doubt. Speaking of premiere day, uh, one of my mates let me know when the Dragon Ball superhero movie is coming to Australia. Because we are getting screenings here, which is always uh, really, really nice to see. So, Dragon Ball superhero is August 18th. And I'm going to be seeing it. Because, one, I'm a Dragon Ball fan. That doesn't need to be a two. I'm a Dragon Ball fan, and I really want to see this movie. Because I, I keep seeing trailers for Superhero, and it just looks like a really good Dragon Ball movie. And I know it's going to be setting up for when they eventually get around to making the next season of the anime. Um, so the next season is probably going to be recapping both the Broly movie and Superhero movie. So it is cool to see. Plus the fact that there is... Uh, 
Gohan and Trunks are finally... Not Gohan. Goten and Trunks. Goten and Trunks are finally going to be older and Gohan is finally doing something and not just, you know, sitting around being weak effectively. It's good to see they're finally actually, you know, using his character again after letting him kind of sit around for a while. And especially, especially with Goten and Trunks. Like, that's, that's the big thing. The fact that they weren't in either of the tournament arcs during Super. It's like, yeah, let's bring in fucking Master Roshi. <laughs> Master Roshi and Krillin. Like, what are we doing here? Like, this... <laughs> like, what? <laughs> no. Stop. Like, I, I know the, dra the Dragon Ball likes to wreck on its own canon like every other episode, but like... Come on! You've got two Saiyans sitting right here that are really cool characters, and you're like, nah, man. Or even just make the tournament of power a couple of more characters and bring them in. Like, why? Why would you do this, Toriyama? Just stop hating Goten and Trunks. Oh, Lord. Yes. Um, What do I want to talk about? I'm not going to keep talking about Dragon Ball, even though I, I probably can. Um, actually, no, what I'm going to talk about, I I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Maybe I, maybe I haven't. I don't know. Either way, I have recently been playing Final Fantasy XV because apparently the only video games that I'm allowed to play are games made by Square Enix. Right now on stream, I'm playing Kingdom Hearts 2. I've got, in my spare time, I'm playing Final Fantasy XIV and Final Fantasy XV. And the only game I'm playing that is not a Square Enix game is Hollow Knight. But it's soon going to be over, and I'm probably going to replace it with a Square Enix game. But um, anyway, FF15. So I'm playing it on PS4, so it's a little bit scuffed in the frame rate department. Um, a little bit scuffed in the graphics department. I probably should have just bought a copy. I, I already had a copy on um on PS4, but I probably should have just uh bought a copy on Steam. How much is it on Steam? 35 US dollars. 44 Australian dollars. You know, I probably should have just bought <laughs> bought it on Steam. Um anyway. So I am maybe 10, 11 hours into the game. And I'm not 11 hours into the content. So I have been playing this game so incredibly slowly. So it's, if you haven't played 15, you're in an open world. And being in an open world, there are things you can do that are not the main storyline. And your your group of people have uh, various, like various, uh, like, Wasting time abilities. So Noctis, the main character, he can fish. Now, I've said it before, but anytime a game has fishing, it is instantly a better game in my mind. And the fishing mechanic actually is kind of good. Like, it's not just like, hey, throw out the line and then just reel it back in when the fish bites. No, you actually have to, like, push it around side to side, like, move the line around to make sure it doesn't um, have too much tension on it. Stop, like, reeling the line in when there's the fish is pulling in a certain way. It's a very fun fishing system. I don't know why I'm talking about fishing system in 15, but it's a very good fishing system. I'm very much a fan. So, when you get, like, 10 minutes into the story, maybe 15 minutes into the story, and you do the first story quest, then you start unlocking the ability to go, like, 
go anywhere in the first area. So the game's like broken up into sections of the map and you can't explore the entire world. So you have to be in the areas you can be in. So this first area you're in is basically a desert. And whenever you go to any of the restaurants, you can actually pick up these things called hunts. Hunts are basically a way to like get some extra money and go out in the world and kill something. And I just sat around doing all of the hunts in the first area, getting my hunt rank up, and um, I'm also, like, way over-leveled. So the, the, <laughs> the main story quest right now, I think, is set to be at, like, level 8, and I'm maybe level 10 or something, because I'm in, like, chapter 3. Maybe it's a bit higher, like 12. I don't know. My characters are, like, level 22 or something, like, 21 or 22. So, I basically ran around the map doing hunts, and as you go around the map, you also find, like, you know, collectibles on the ground, like, materials and things like that, and I went around the entire first area, finding all of them on the map, so I can make sure they're all mapped out, so when they respawn, I can go and grab them again. <clears throat> now, the way you explore is, when you leave the... or when you actually start the game, you are given a car by your dad. I guess it's your car? I don't know if it's your car. I'm, like, half paying attention to the story because the story is absolutely insane. I'll get into the story in a moment. But you have a car called the Regalia, and you can use that to drive around the map. Now, during the first chapter, you can only drive on the roads, and that's boring. Uh, half the time, you actually can't drive yourself. You have to let your... Uh, <laughs> you have to let your driver drive you around the map. But you can, like, take control of it. You can also, like, fast travel places as well, but... Um, generally you have to just let Ignis do whatever he wants. Um, chapter two, you gain the ability to get a, basically a monster truck. This is how quickly the game just gets ridiculous. When you get the monster truck, it's your regular car. It's just now a monster truck. It's also a convertible monster truck, just, just to be certain that you know how stupid it is. And then you can just drive around the map, like, as you want. Um, but... During chapter two, you can only do that during the night. So Ignis, for whatever reason, is afraid of the dark and won't let you drive during the day, but he'll let you drive at night. A bit later in the game, chapter three onwards, you can drive whenever you want. But Ignis was just like, no, I, I drive during the day. You can only drive at night. Even though his reason is like, he wants you to be like, to understand the terrain and understand the environment, which would make more sense if it was flipped around, so he drives during the night and you drive during the day, but whatever. <clears throat> also, I guess, like, you know, scary monsters come out at night. Like, you'll get, you know, your typical Final Fantasy sort of monsters coming out at night, uh, whereas during the day, it's generally more like the Final Fantasy style of animals. So, you go around doing that, eventually you get to Chapter 3, and then you gain the ability to get a chocobo. And then you're like, no, cars are stupid. I'm going to rent a chocobo. Because chocobo renting is also very cheap. It's like five gil per in-game day. So there's literally no reason to not be like always using a chocobo if you just need to explore around the, um, around the general map. Now, the story is... The story is interesting. So basically you start off in the... The city of Insomnia. This is where Noctus, the prince of this city, lives. And your dad is sending you out to go meet, um, go meet your the your future wife. She lives in some other city. I don't remember the name. It doesn't matter. Um, and you're being sent out there with uh, your your crew, uh, Ignis Noct Noctus, the main character, Ignis Prompto, 
and Gladiolus, uh, which everyone just calls Gladio because it's easier to say. Um, so you go out on this quest and for chapter one, it's really chill. You know, you're doing, you're doing like your fishing stuff, you're meeting characters. Uh, you can also customize the regalia and like have different paint jobs and have racing stripes, stupid shit like that. Then you finish chapter one. So <laughs> you get towards at the end of chapter one and then everybody in the city dies. So <laughs> turns out that the reason why your dad was like trying to get your dad, the king was trying to get you to leave the city and, um, you know, pursue this marriage as quickly as he was is because he knew that the empire was going to attack the city. And he was also pretty sure that he was probably going to lose the fight. So he wanted to send you out of the city to, you know, build up your strength and keep the, the I guess, legacy of the, the kingdom going and then one day come back and, you know, bring the kingdom back effectively. So that happens. <laughs> Everybody dies. Then um, you keep going through chapter two. Now that the city's been taken over, you'll occasionally see like empire, um, empire enemies spawning. They fly in like with a drop ship and they'll like stun you and shit like that and do whatever they want to do. Um, that keeps going. And then you find out that not only do we have, uh, are we the prince and we already knew we could use magic in some form. Turns out they're also like magical, like spirit weapons sort of things. Um, these are like weapons used by the previous kings. And now the quest that I'm, I'm mainly doing is going around collecting these weapons of previous kings so we can gain the power of, uh, or we can gain enough power to overthrow the empire and, uh, like, <laughs> and take back our kingdom. Even though Noctis is like, I don't want to fucking do this. Like, why, why did you make me do this? Can I just, like, go back home and chill? <laughs> And everyone's like, no, you are here to be the king now. <laughs> the one thing I'm not sure how I feel about is the, the combat system. So a lot of the early Final Fantasy games have a more like, you know, tactical based system where you have to worry about, you know, type matching and a lot and mainly type matching and things like that. Um, here the, the combat system is very simple. So you have a, a D-pad system where you can swap what weapon you want to use. And you can have whatever weapons you want to have, like a sword, a spear, um, uh, greatsword, things like that. And they will do different damage to different enemies depending on, you know, what, um, what type of damage they do. So, like, if you're at the sword, some things are, like, resistant to swords and they'll take less damage from that, whereas they'll take more damage if you use a gun, for example. So there is a type matching system in some way, but the general combat is hold circle. So if you hold circle, you will start attacking. And then depending on the direction of the left analog stick, that is going to determine like how you do an attack. Like if you're using a sword, for example, and you pull backwards, you'll do a like a swing and then jump back. So it doesn't really matter how you do it. The combat is very, very simple for the most part. I'm sure later in the game, like, Maybe there are things to worry about, but the the main thing from what I've seen with the combat is worry about the weapon you're using and then also dodge. So you have the ability to phase through attacks 
And depending on like what the attack is, like there are going to be some attacks where there'll be like a block thing on the screen. And if you phase through that at the right time, then you'll get the ability to parry that, that attack. And if your party members are close, you might do like a, a linked parry and you'll do damage and they'll do damage. That's the other thing about the combat. So you only play as Noctis. You don't, uh, unless you do like the, there are like um, DLC where you can play as the other characters through their like side story. But when you're going through the general game, you're just playing as Noctis. So when you have, um, when you're behind an enemy, you're going to be able to do like bonus damage. Like blind, it's called blindside damage. But if you have a party member nearby, you'll actually do like a linked blindside damage. So that will do an attack, you'll do an attack, bonus damage. So that's sort of the way you fight about tactically. The other thing you have is the ability to do, uh, the ability to do a warp. So if you warp to the open field, that is just a regular warp. If you warp to an enemy, that is called a warp strike. And depending on the the distance that you warp from, you're going to do more or less damage. I think it caps, oh, it, like, minimal, the minimal amount of damage you can do is 1x damage. But if you're, like, on a high building and you warp strike for something, you might do, like, 2 or 3x damage. Now, obviously, warping isn't something you can just spam infinitely, except you mostly can. So the way you regenerate your ability to warp is it's through your MP gauge. So when you go and warp onto like a high ledge, so some things are going to be marked as like, I think they're called target points or points, points of target or some warp target, something like that. When you teleport to that, you'll start regening health very quickly and you'll also instantly regain all your MP. So during a hard fight, what you can do is warp to the enemy Warp to the point. Warp to the enemy. Warp to the point. And just keep doing that back and forth and literally never die. I don't think I've actually died in the game once. I've gotten close at one point. Um, but that was just because I was being overwhelmed by a ton of enemies. And it was during the, the desert area where there weren't really that many places to warp. But when you're near buildings or mountains, things like that, it's really difficult to die. Um... But overall, I think 15 is a very fun game, and I kind of wish that I played it a very long time ago. Honestly, the main reason why I'm playing 15 now is because I watched the trailer for 16, and I think 16 looks very fun. Not, to, not that, you know, any of the Final Fantasy games have anything to do with each other, but I just knew it was on my shelf, so I thought I might as well, you know, get around to actually playing it. Uh, rather than just, you know, leaving it there and just not worrying about it. But I recommend it. And uh, if you don't know, 16 is being directed by uh, Yoshi P, the, the director of Final Fantasy XIV. And a lot of people are very, uh, very happy about that. Also, the writers for the game wrote Heaven's Ward, which a lot of people consider to be the, the best story in all of FF14. I think it I think Heaven's Ward's fine. Like it's it's an MMO story at the end of the day. Like you're always gonna have the problem where you get so distracted by side content you kinda tend to forget what's happening between MSQ stuff, but I'm sure if I I played through the MSQ just going point to point to point, it would have been a absolutely fantastic story. Sixteen, from what I'm seeing, it looks like looks like what would happen if you just turned Final Fantasy XIV into a single player game. Like <laughs> the like the the design for like Garuda and Ifrit and uh, 
the only one that's different is Titan. And I guess, um, um, yeah, Titan's the only one that's, like, majorly different. But all of the other, like, icon, all of the other icons you would see in 14, they're the exact same, basically. Uh, and you can definitely see where, uh, where the guy involved in the game actually came from. But, um, that's gonna be enough for, uh, Final Fantasy. What else do we got here? Um, I say it's enough for Final Fantasy, but I've actually got a Kingdom Hearts 4 to play. Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry, um, Tetsuya Nomura actually did a interview regarding Kingdom Hearts 4 and, like, its, its connection with Final Fantasy going forward. So, series is now 20 years old, which is crazy. I didn't realize Kingdom Hearts 1 came out that long ago. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see. There were some interesting parts of this. Uh, what has been your favorite cliffhanger to see fans' reaction to? The first thing that comes to mind is the ending for the original Kingdom Hearts. I feel like that was really unexpected on the player uh, on the player's part because people playing that first game probably didn't think the story would continue beyond that. I think that's very fair, actually. Like, I thought that when you got to the end of Kingdom Hearts... You were gonna like reunite with Riku and Kairi, and all things would just be, you know, lots of fun. Nah, didn't happen. You don't really reunite till the end of Kingdom Hearts Two, and there's like a bunch of games in between. Uh, also in King, uh, I'm not gonna read that. That's uh, spoilers for Kingdom Hearts Three. <laughs> I've not finished it yet, or I've not played it yet. Uh, did you expect the characters from games like Birth by Sleep and Three Five Eight Over Two Days to become so popular? Do you feel like their stories are complete? Or we can expect more of these characters to pop up in Kingdom Hearts 4. I do kind of hope that we see more of uh, of Lee. Because, you know, the the nobodies from... or the, I guess the human forms of the nobodies from uh, the organization, they got focus... In, I know they got a lot of focus in 3, but it's just one game. And, you know, we need more games. <laughs> more games with cool characters. Also, Shion. I like Roxas as well, but, you know, Roxas is always going to show up at some point. Uh, because of Sora. <clears throat> uh, I really didn't think the characters from these two titles would become so popular. I thought the characters wanted, uh, the players wanted to see more of characters like Sora and Riku. No one wants to see more Sora. <laughs> we can expect that Sora is always going to be there. Riku, I, I, you know, I can agree with. I would like to see a, a like a completely Riku-focused game. I know Riku's always had like, <clears throat> you know, side stories in Chain of Memories and Dream Drop Distance, but give him a full game. And you know what? Give him a game and give Kyrie a game. Uh, it was kind of unexpected the characters from these two titles would be so well received. As far as including them uh, or continuing their story in Kingdom Hearts 4, the story for Kingdom Hearts 4 is focused more on Sora's disappearance. I'm not quite sure if there will really uh, if there'll be room to really explore the other characters' stories as much, but I'm aware. <clears throat> but I'm aware, and the team is aware that these characters are very popular. Uh, and people want to see more of them. So if possible, it would be great to include more of them or continue to share more of their story and future opportunities. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if 4 is effectively like <clears throat> Kingdom Hearts 1, because 4 is the start of a new arc. So 4 is basically going to be, we have no idea what's going on. And um, yeah, I, I think that makes sense. 4, we're probably not even going to see like Donald and Goofy for most of it. Um... <clears throat> Let's see. Uh, do you feel it's important to keep Sora as the main protagonist, or do you ever see the series moving beyond him? 
as far as spin-off goes, uh, we've had main characters, well, not Sora, true. We've had the Birth by Sleep crew. We've had Roxas in 358. We've had, I guess, even Riku in Dream Drop and um, Trending Memories, but that was a shared game with Sora. You had 2.8 with Aqua. Um, am I missing anything? Oh, you had the mobile games, of course. <laughs> Uh, but in terms of mainline series, I think Sora is actually the only real candidate for the main character. I think that's totally true. I think at this point, it would be really weird if you got rid of Sora. Or even just, like, made him, like, a side character. I think if you're gonna have a game that doesn't have Sora as the main character, it sort of makes a lot more sense for Sora to not even really be in the game. I think if Sora is no longer the main character, then I would also feel like that would indicate the end to the numbered titles. He's that important to the series. Wow, okay. That actually makes sense, but yeah, wow. Um, why is my nose so itchy? Uh, let's see. We saw Donald and Goofy in the Kingdom Hearts 4 reveal, but one question a lot of fans have is how much will Disney still be integral, integral? integral to the series? Well, we know that Hades was also here as well. Um, Hades is who they met in the dark. Uh, with regards to Kingdom Hearts 4... Players are definitely going to see more, uh, a few more Disney worlds. Uh, I just want to mention they don't need to worry so much about this aspect of the game. Yeah. <laughs> Even Nomura realizes the Disney part doesn't fucking matter. Oh, Lord. It might feel slightly different from previous Kingdom Hearts titles. Once players have had a chance to play the game, I'm sure they'll be relieved to find that it's definitely a Kingdom Hearts title. Okay. I wonder if that means they're going to change up the way that worlds work. As far as the graphics, uh, the graphic qualities, since with each new title, the specs have really been increasing and there's so much more we can do in terms of graphics, it kind of limits the number of worlds we can create in a sense. At this time, we've, we're considering how to approach that, but there will be Disney worlds in Kingdom Hearts 4. I don't think it limits the kind of worlds you can have or the number of worlds you can have. I think the problem we're seeing with KH4 is the direction the art style has gone. The way the art style looks now, I don't think it makes any sense to have Disney worlds unless what you want to do is you want to have, like, um, world-based forms. Like, you want to when you go to a, a cartoon Disney world, you want to have more of a cartoon form. I think that would make it work a lot better than, um, you know, just trying to chuck Sora into, you know... Whatever kids movie people like, chuck him into cars. <laughs> um, will we be spending a lot of time in Quadratum? Does having a more realistic setting give you bigger opportunities to try new things with the gameplay? I think it'll be a pretty good amount of time. It is, uh, it is set as the initial base within the game. Oh, okay. So Quadratum's going to be a fairly big world. Okay. So it's probably is obviously going to be our hub world. That that's very clear, but uh, it's a question of what's actually going to, how it's going to be handled. Whether like Quadratum's going to have like a big story by itself, or what they're going to do. Uh, it's pretty clear that it's at least going to be as important as like Traverse, uh, Traverse Town or um, Hollow Bastion in KH two. I guess Traverse Town in KH two as well. Uh, sorry, um, Twilight Town. Twilight Town in KH2 as well. And then Twilight Town in KH3. It's probably at least going to be like that. 
you spend time there and go to different worlds, then go back there because the graphics are more realistic this time around. I feel like there's more of a realistic daily life aspect to Sora. Uh, more of a realistic daily life aspect to Sora's life? Okay. You can go see... Uh, you, can, you can see him go in and out of his room, spend time there. I feel like players will get to see more of day-to-day -day routines he goes through. Okay, I don't know what that's going to exactly mean. As far as worlds go in the, <clears throat> go in the past... We feature a lot of Disney worlds, and among those, the more realistic one was probably Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes, true. Uh, this time around, we're spending some time in the actual real world. This was a challenge we had for ourselves, uh, ourselves just to see how realistic we can make this. And that's something we're working on right now. Uh, for now, we can't really dive into any further details than that. <clears throat> Fans are really, uh, have been very concerned about the lack of Final Fantasy characters in newer entries... Do you still want to dial down on the amount of them in the series, or is Kingdom Hearts 4 a chance to bring in more, cameo uh, more cameos? I I would like to see a lot more characters. Like, Noctis you're probably not going to see because Laser Boy in, um, in, in Kingdom Hearts 3, like the secret boss, he's probably going to be there instead, and it, they're basically the same character. Uh... <laughs> So that's not going to happen, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see someone like Lightning, for example. Uh, I understand there weren't many character, uh, Final Fantasy characters in Kingdom Hearts 3. One thing I want to clear up is a lot of fans are saying that Kingdom Hearts is this collaboration between Disney characters and Final Fantasy characters. But I really feel like that's not the basic concept of Kingdom Hearts. Not uh, That's not exactly what Kingdom Hearts is. When we released the first title, we had only a few original Kingdom Hearts characters when they were interacting with really well-known beloved Disney characters. I felt nobody knew these new characters, so it was harder for them to stand their ground just yet. And so we had a lot of Final Fantasy characters involved who lend a hand for everyone to get to know these original Kingdom Hearts characters better. Uh, now there are so many original uh, characters from Kingdom Hearts that are so well-beloved, and people want to see more of these characters... With Kingdom Hearts 3, since we did have so many original uh, Kingdom Hearts characters, it was hard to find room for including more Final Fantasy characters. We're trying to find a good balance for that. I know that some fans were concerned about that and weren't too happy and want to see more Final Fantasy characters. That's something we definitely are thinking about, but just with the sheer number of original characters that we have now, it's hard to say what the exact balance is going to be and how it will play out in Kingdom Hearts 4. We can't really give you a firm reply on this just yet. <coughs> I think if they don't want to make more Kingdom Hearts characters, like, core to the... the or more Final Fantasy characters core to the Kingdom Hearts story, like, you don't want to have another Leon or another another Sid or another uh, Cloud or another Yuffie, I think what you could do is do the way that, like, Auron was handled, for example. Auron only exists in, in the Olympus Coliseum. Auron doesn't matter at all to the overall story. Or, like, the um, the Final Fantasy X-2 girls that I really don't like because they fucking ruin the characters. Um, Riku, What's-Her-Face, and Yuna. Um, I think you could handle it like that as well, where you just, just... You have them there, but they just, like the Disney characters, aren't core to the overall story. They are just there on their own world. Not necessarily adapting, you know, the story of the Final Fantasy game, but bringing the character in through some other means. I'm sure there's some way you could inject those characters into the story and sort of make it a cameo that people would be, you know, interest, uh, interested to see. It's still very unclear what sort of characters we're going to see in Kingdom Hearts 4, 
but I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing... I wouldn't be surprised if we see some Marvel stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some uh, some Star Wars. I know some people have been talking about that. Star Wars seems like such an obvious inclusion in the Kingdom Hearts universe. Just because, you know, it, the, they fight with fucking magic swords. It just It just makes sense. Magic laser swords. I just want to see it. And think of how cool it would be to see to see Sora like fighting like Darth Vader or something like that. Just like having a your whole Sora's holding his keyblade up against Vader's uh, Vader's lightsaber, and then you know you do a reaction command and throw him back and things like that. I, there's so many cool ways that you could handle a fight like that. Or if you want to go like the newer stuff, you don't have to necessarily go Vader. You can go like prequel or you can go the um the newer series. Um. I think it would just be cool. And I think a lot of people would be, like, really excited to see it happen. What else they would bring in? Well, I don't know. I... I... I think the focus is going to be on the more realistic Disney stuff, though. I think that's... I think that's a pretty fair conclusion that... That anybody can really come to. But... Besides that, I... I couldn't really say. We're gonna we'll find out at some point. I actually don't know when. Do we have a release date for Kingdom Hearts 4 yet? Kingdom Hearts 4. Do we have a release year? Anything? Uh release. No, that's Kingdom Hearts 3. No, that's literally not what I typed. Um I wouldn't be surprised if it's like two or three years out. Two or three years out sounds sounds reasonable. Wait, why do people leave Google reviews for a game? <laughs> why does the why do people leave Google reviews for a game? What fucking weirdos are you? What I can say is the music is going to be good. I think everybody can probably probably accept that. No matter how good the game is, the music is probably going to be absolutely incredible. And I think that, look, it may not be enough to hold the entire game, but it's certainly enough to make the game um, at least somewhat tolerable, if nothing else. But, uh, yeah. Um, what do you we have? We're going to do one more topic and then probably end the show. Or am I going to end it now? Um... Oh, you know what? We're going to talk about the Hollow Earth. Not that Hollow Earth. The other Hollow Earth. Um, this is the stupidest name for a game I've ever seen. So, <laughs> Cover Corp, the, the company behind um, Hollow Life, they have been working on various Hollow Life related projects under the banner of Hollow Life Alternative. So, there is the Hollow Life Alternative manga. There have been these, like, I guess you'd call them. <clears throat> promotional trailers or something like that, uh, which are really, really well animated. There was one that came out, uh, I think, two or three days ago? Well, let me just check. Hollow Live Alternative. Yeah, four days ago, sorry. Uh, the first one was just... it was. I think it was only the JP girls. Then you had another one that came out and it's got the some of the Ian girls. It still has some of the JP girls as well. Uh, it's got the ID girls as well. Basically, it's just 
hey, look, there is more to Hololive than just the GP side. And that sort of just acts as like a promotional thing for the, the Hololive alternative project. And following those trailers coming out, now we have the Hollow Earth, which is such a bad name for it. But Hollow Earth is going to be oh, like yeah. a... I don't know. They uh, It says a metaverse game, a metaverse sandbox game. What that actually means, I don't have an answer for you because it that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't look like it looks like a cheap indie game though. It's not like hey, this is a, you know, an art style they're going for. It looks like it was thrown together in Unity. Which, you know, for a for a sandbox metaverse game, honestly sounds about accurate to be honest. I I have no idea if it's going to be good. It might be a game. <laughs> I don't I don't know much more about that. It might be a game. Right now it doesn't seem to be. We have this basic demo here and that's basically it. Um showing off like oh you it jump past it. So it's showing off like a quest dialogue or something like that. Here we go. There? Yeah, so you like run up here and then there is a thingy where you can get a quest and then Botan shows up and is like, hey, here's a quest. Get a rocket launcher or whatever. Uh, <laughs> it seems like it's still very much in the like alpha stages and it's really unclear what the game's actually going to be when it is fully fleshed out. But I have no doubt that even if the game is terrible, it's going to have at least, like, some level of... Some level of continuing player base just solely for the fact that it is tied to Hololive. No other reason. But it might be good. It might be good. I know that, um... I know that Asmongold saw the... Saw the trailer for Hollow Earth and was like, hey, I might play that. And you know what? If Asmon plays it... It'll have players for at least a couple of weeks, and maybe after that, it'll have some. But we'll see. It could also just be like Lost Ark, where Lost Ark has a, like 900,000 players that are all totally human because they never log off, and there's always players online, even though every other game follows the exact same cycle except for Lost Ark. <laughs> Totally isn't a bot farm. Definitely not. Um, anyway, I'm going to end the podcast a little bit early because I have things to do and I forgot to do them early. <laughs> I started recording this way later than I uh, had initially intended and I don't exactly want to be doing like channel-related stuff all day tomorrow. So, yeah. We're it's only 10 minutes early. Anyway, um... Next week, I'm not certain if we'll have a guest, but I am certainly trying to um, line some stuff up. So if it's not next week, it'll probably be the week after that. Actually, if it's the week after that, it'll be next episode, I think. Maybe. I don't know. It'll be soon. <laughs> there will be guests, there will be a show, and hopefully uh, what we get is kind of entertaining. So that's going to be pretty much it for me. If you like the podcast, you want to go and like it, do all that fun stuff. If you want to go and support my work, there is probably the Patreon link down there as well. 
I have got a gaming channel that is Brody Robertson Plays. My main channel is Brody Robertson. I do Linux videos and tech videos and things like that. I also have social media. There's Twitter, Mastodon, Brody on Linux. I think you'll find it. If you just look at Brody Robertson, you'll probably find it as well. And uh, yeah. The audio version of this is available anywhere you can find audio podcasts. The video version is available on YouTube. And that's going to be it for me. So, unless I have something more to say. I think I think that's all I have to say. So, I'm out.